Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Josh, before the end of this episode, we're going to cut your balls off. Okay, fun. <laughs> Let's look forward to that. That's exactly what you said you were going to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are there two of us hosting this podcast <laughs> or is it just the same person? So in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we've been talking about the films of 1999. And we are here at my personal pick for the year, and that is Fight Club, which is why Jason is talking about cutting people's balls off. Or maybe not. Maybe that's just what he does. Serendipity? No, I'm just kidding. He had no idea that that was what was happening. You know, it's funny, Josh. I just want to say there's so, like this, whatever you think about this movie, there's so many quotable or memorable things like i'm racking going through my brain and i'm like how do i want to start this i settled on cutting your balls off well right i mean and as you should have (laughs) but there were many other options to go with you know yeah that's true this is a movie and i had i was trying to think about uh, this is a little ahead but uh about how long it had been since i'd seen this movie and even though i think it's actually been quite a long time so many lines i was sitting there watching this movie and and kind of quoting it along with it because they're so memorable or they've been ingrained in pop culture in one way or another. Well, since we're going to talk about that, I'll tell you, I can remember, I believe the last time I saw this movie in full opening night at the movie theater. Yes. Yeah. It was, I was in college, a young white male in college. (laughs) Yes. Um, As we both were. Yes. And uh, I remember there was like a group, pretty much the whole house I lived in. I think there were six of us. We all were like, we drove 40 minutes to see this in Massachusetts because it wasn't playing close or it might have been playing close, but we wanted to see it on like the state of the art theater at the time. And, you know, I've talked about how I've worked at Blockbuster since then. And, you know, sometimes late at night you could put on movies and I'm sure we watched clips or like just had it on in the background, but I hadn't seen it. I think this might be the first one that of all the seasons that I hadn't seen again since opening night. How, how fun. Yeah. I, I also was going to college in Massachusetts and drove probably 40 minutes or so to see this movie. Uh, just because I went to college in a little town where we had to drive 40 minutes to see any movie, I think. Yeah. Although that may, there, it may have been not quite that far, but uh, definitely saw this right away. Uh, maybe not opening night, but the week it came out or something like that. As a young white college age male, <laughs> right? Exactly. It was, uh, it was it obligated. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into all of that. Um, so, despite despite our uh, demographics enthusiasm for well, this, film, well, let's ask Dave since we're going through oh, the okay. first time, and then you you know we'll do a little flip flop. We can all be right. a little unorthodox right, like this fine. film. That's fine. So. Opening night, all my friends probably saw it three or four times in the theater. We, yeah. we loved it. Wow. Yeah. You're yeah. ahead of me. I didn't, I, I saw it that one time. It was again with all uh, a group of friends, although not all uh, dudes, actually. Um, actually, there were one uh, friend of mine in college who I also dated for a little while. She was a huge fan of this film. Uh, she was probably more enthused maybe than anyone about going to see it. And, you know, we were all excited, but 
Yeah, I actually weirdly have a painting of myself in the car on the way to see Fight Club, which is a very strange thing. And that's not the reason for it, but I, that's actually from when that was. Can we tweet that out when this episode yeah, airs, please? Uh, yeah, I suppose. It's got someone else in it, too, who hopefully wouldn't object to this painting. Oh, is that tweeted. the girlfriend? Or? No, she was. So, oh, this is a great Did uh, they paint it story. in a moving car? No, 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 no. So, so <laughs> the uh, woman I mentioned who was really, really into about Fight Club. Uh, she was also a painter. She was an art major. And she took a photo in the car as we were driving to see this movie of me and uh, another uh, young woman who I also had dated. Uh, Whoa, this period. what's going on here? Um, He's not a real... Not at real, the same time. He's a real Tyler Durden. Sure yeah, is. no, this is this is very not what I'm like anymore. Um, but no, so she just took a like a digital photo of us, and it was an exercise for her class, like do a painting of a photo that you took. And so she did this painting of just the two people sitting in a car. It's not like an exciting painting, just as an exercise. And then when she graduated, she was getting rid of a bunch of stuff, and she was like, "Do you want this painting of you and and this yeah, other person?" Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I used to have it on my wall in my bedroom, which I realized is super creepy. <laughs> and so, so now I have it in a closet. I know this painting. I've been to his house enough times to know the painting. And the and the ladies got along. You all your girlfriends got along with each other. Well, Josh? like I said, we didn't date it. It was not at the same time. They were no, they were good friends actually. Wow. So uh, for a while, and then they had a massive falling out, but not related oh. to me. Oh. Um, in part related to some other guy that they had both dated who turned out to be a horrible uh sexual predator so that's a wow that's that, a downer ending to that yeah story. i was mm. really enjoying the story and then now i'm not hopefully neither <laughs> of these people listen to this podcast now josh uh you had but you've seen it again on like dvd before well this, yes um i remember in college because my group of friends we were so into it I remember we had like after it came out on probably on VHS, we had like a movie night in the dorm and we watched it and I owned the Blu-ray, uh, which I watched for this podcast, but I was trying to think when the last time was I saw it. And it, I think I've seen it at least once post-college, but not that recently. So yeah. and Dave's probably seen it a bunch. I, I hadn't seen it in a while, but I was trying to remember. I think I got DVD for this movie. Okay. I got my first DVD player because of the special oh, features wow. on this. Yeah, it has a lot. Uh, watching the Blu-ray, it had a lot of uh, features that I, it had like four commentaries and you know, it yeah. was very, very extensive for that kind of stuff. But I know I hadn't seen it in a really long time, is my point. Well, uh, knowing Josh, eventually he's going to get into some of the quotes from reviewers. Yes. And Dave, talking about the DVDs, uh, one of the quotes from English writer Alexander Walker was, an inadmissible assault on personal decency and on society itself which Fincher put on the packaging of the DVD. <laughs> that sounds about right for this movie and its uh, sort of themes. So, right. So despite uh, all of us being in this kind of group that would have been very, very enthused for this movie, it wasn't a big hit. Uh, it was considered a commercial disappointment, grossing $101.2 million on its budget of $63 million, which had ballooned over time because, you know, David Fincher. Um, but the studio was not happy with this film, and it may, it may have not done that well in part because they didn't know how to market it, and they weren't that enthused about uh, trying to push it, and so it didn't necessarily reach everyone in the audience that would have liked it, at least right away. Uh, it was nominated for an Oscar, 
for best sound editing. Uh, lots of lost to the matrix, lost to the, which is fair, but um, you know, lot, lots of uh, flesh on flesh pounding sounds in this film, <laughs> yeah. I guess we could say. Yeah. I mean, I didn't look up best score, but I feel like the dust brothers could have gotten a nomination or cinematographer, Jeff Chenoweth. Yeah. I mean, I agree that all that stuff is good, but uh, no, none of that. The, uh, the sound editing was the only thing. And that's a, that's an award that often, uh, gets nominations for films that aren't considered, you know, great films like the Transformers movies and things like that end up in there because it's just a technical award. So that's what the Oscars thought of this. Well, I agree. I agree that the Matrix, uh, you can't you can't be sad about losing to the Matrix in a technical category. So. Right, exactly. And, and I'm sure that they weren't. Um, and it got mixed reviews from critics who uh, had a lot of them that kind of response, Jason, that like you just quoted. Ebert and uh, his guest critic, uh, Michaela Pereira, they were split on it. Ebert did not like it. He gave it a thumbs down, whereas she did give it a thumbs up and uh, enjoyed it more than he did. Um, And in his review, Roger Ebert said, Fight Club is the most frankly and cheerfully fascist big star movie since Death Wish, a celebration of violence in which the heroes write themselves a license to drink, smoke, screw and beat one another up. The movie is visceral and hard-edged, with levels of irony and commentary above and below the action. If it had all continued in the vein explored in the first act, it might have become a great film. But the second act is pandering, and the third is trickery. And whatever David Fincher thinks the message is, that's not what most audience members will get. And despite the fact that obviously I don't agree in general with his dislike of this film. I think that last thing is he's clearly very prescient about the reaction to this film. Yeah. I think uh, I have a couple other quotes from him that I jotted down that I think, I think like, yeah, like even if you don't agree with him, he's got a really well thought out review on this one. You know, he called it a thrill ride masquerading as philosophy. Right. Which I don't agree. I feel like it's a thrill ride and philosophy. I don't think it's a masquerade. I mean, we'll get into it, but dude, like, is it philosophy or is it one point made for two hours and 20 minutes over and over again? You know, well, it's a philosophical point about one particular thing. Okay. And then um, I had read this. He was, he did a shot by shot analysis over a week at conference of world affairs. And afterwards he said, I admired its skill even more and it's thought even less. Right. I mean, and even his, in, in his initial review and in the discussion on the, the TV show, he make sure to mention the technical uh, proficiency of this film and Fincher's talent while he still ultimately doesn't like the movie. So Janet Maslin in the New York Times was much more positive. She liked it a lot. She said, in a film as strange and single-mindedly conceived as Eyes Wide Shut, Mr. Fincher's angry, diffidently witty ideas about contemporary manhood unfold. As based on a novel by Chuck Palahniuk and deftly written by Jim Ools, It builds a huge phantasmagorical structure around the search for lost masculine authority and attempts to psychoanalyze an entire society in the process. If watched sufficiently mindlessly, it might be mistaken for a dangerous endorsement of totalitarian tactics and super-violent nihilism in an all-out assault on society. But this is a much less gruesome film than Seven and a notably more serious one. It means to explore the lure of violence in an even more dangerously regimented, dehumanized culture. That's a hard thing to illustrate this powerfully without, so to speak, 
stepping on a few toes. Well, according to Fincher and the stars, Janet Maslin missed the entire point of this film. See, that's strange because I thought Janet Maslin's review was more, I don't know why they thought that, because to me, that is more spot on, even though Ebert gets to the idea that people will misconstrue this movie and take the wrong message from it. I, I think Maslin understands that this is not just uh, a celebration of violence or a celebration of nihilism, but, but rather a, a critique of what the characters are trying to do. I agree, but uh, what was the part she said about how serious it was and this and that? Yes. It's, it's, she missed the entire point that they did it as a comedy. Which well, they say in almost every press interview. And and I it is a comedy. I mean, or at least I one thing I was struck by watching this time was how funny it is. I mean, and I don't think she's necessarily saying it's serious in that she didn't think that it had a, a jokes or humor to it, but just that it has more on its mind, maybe, than something like Seven. I mean, I think I disagree. I mean, Seven's a very serious movie, whereas this, like, uh, if if it's interpreted the way that the filmmaker intended, is a satire, right? Well, right. And Seven is a serious movie in the sense that it's very grim and that doesn't have jokes or comedy. But I think this is more serious. It's it's serious as a satire. Again, it's like, it's dealing with more serious ideas, whereas Seven is just like a thriller and a good thriller. And I'm not trying to knock Seven at all. I think Seven is great. But I think that that's, it's, it doesn't have as much to say as this movie does. And I think Fincher would would agree that this movie has something to say. Well, yes, yeah, so I I will agree also, but how much of it does it have to say? Again, I think that's a weird point though. Like, I mean, are we comparing how much each movie has to say in a, in a I'm not sure what what we're getting at. Well, there. what I all I'm saying is that I think I'm defending the idea of calling this movie serious in the in the sense of it is a movie with a lot on its mind. That's all. Okay. You know, you can call any comedy serious, not in the sense that it's not funny, but in the sense that it's dealing with ideas and it's take it takes its its perspective seriously. Okay. All right. <laughs> so David Anson in Newsweek was was mixed, but I think the theme of a lot of these negative reviews is still a sort of kind of grudging respect, even if they didn't like it. Uh, he said. Fincher inflates Fight Club with apocalyptic mayhem that's positively Wagnerian in its pretension. There is a major plot twist, a la The Sixth Sense, that I won't divulge. It's clearly meant to spin the movie into a provocative new orbit of meaning, but it reads more as if the story has boxed itself into a corner and can't find a way out. The movie doesn't so much end as self-destruct. Yet this is not a movie that can be easily dismissed or forgotten. An outrageous mixture of brilliant technique, puerile philosophizing, trenchant satire, and sensory overload, Fight Club is the most incendiary movie to come out of Hollywood in a long time. It's a mess, but one worth fighting about. The only thing in that review that I might have, as an editor, been like, because you said Wagnerian, right? Yes. You might not want to bring up Wagner, uh, who was a noted Nazi in a movie, you know, uh, filled with young, white, angry men who shave their heads and then commit crimes around the city. If you're a fan of the film. Well, I mean, he's obviously not entirely a fan of the film. And I think one of the potential criticisms is that this film could be interpreted as not a Nazi film, but certainly a. Uh, sympathetic to fascism film in certain ways. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to, I mean, in, you know, 1999, April 
20th was Columbine, right? So that was one of the reasons that the release date of Fight Club was moved. And, you know, this goes back before, you know, the whole idea of does art influence society? And we've talked about that on other things. And I think that's pretty unfair to put that on film. Well, right. But even if you're not blaming it for things that people do in reality, you could still take the perspective that it is sympathetic to those ideas. Yes, I, I, you could. I think that would be a very base way of looking at it. I mean, I agree, but I also think that that's a, certainly a perspective that people took, is all I'm saying, is that that's something that people got A lot of, of people did. You're right. And yeah. a lot of people expected this to create violence. And there were like teen fight clubs and random dude fight clubs popping up after this. Yeah, and people are stupid and and will misinterpret and I'm sure we'll talk about more of the misinterpretation of this film. And but I think you're right. You can't blame this or any other film for what idiots do in misguided ways being in, inspired by it. Yeah, idiots are so dumb. They sure are. Hey Josh, I wanted to bring up two celebrities who okay. spoke of this film. Bill Clinton was a fan and called it quite good if a little too nihilist. Which I think is pretty fair. Sure. Know? All right. And uh, I don't know if you know this. Rosie O'Donnell, this was when she had her talk show. Oh, yeah. This came up in the news recently for some reason, I think. She went on the show and she said, whatever you do, don't see Fight Club. It's demented. It's horrible. Whatever she said. And then she gave away the twist on the show. Like, if you want to be like, hey, I don't like the movie. I don't think you should see it. That's so that I still think is like kind of pushing it as an entertainment host. But like. Don't give away the ending, dude, you know? Right. And it's weird because I don't know why this came up. This was like a news story in recent <laughs> months, I swear, where she talked about it in an interview or something. And I don't remember it being a big deal at the time. And I think she essentially said something along those lines where she was like, it wasn't like she was trying to hurt the movie because she didn't like it. She just didn't even think of that as being a thing. I can see that. I just... You don't, but she should know better than to give away an ending. of a No, I suppose so. We say that, but at the same time, you know, maybe not as much in 1999, but when we've been looking at earlier years in like the 60s and 70s, film reviews used to give away every single plot point. You're right. But 99, six cents, as our friend Dick Walsh told us, you know, everyone yes. kept it a secret. So you would think they would want to keep this one. A you would think so. And, and David Anson in that review, in that Newsweek review, does essentially say, here's a twist and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. It's funny because like, there's still like everything we're talking about has like layers of controversy around it that we have to dissect to even get into this movie. And it kind of brings you back to just like what a, um, you know, uh, uh, powder keg this was. Right. It was. And even if it didn't become a huge hit, it was certainly something that was extensively talked about. It was explosive. Like many of the buildings in the film. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't a huge hit, but I guess this is a legacy thing. I mean, it was a huge hit eventually. Eventually, uh, yeah. yeah. And 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 as as we're talking about amongst our you know sort of peer group or whatever, it was a huge deal, right? And and I don't remember being. It wasn't like a surprise, like oh wow, I never heard about that movie and we saw it and it was amazing. Like we were all really excited in advance to see this film, right? And still, it was number one at the box office the first week. It didn't make a lot of money, but it didn't die you know right. and um yeah so i mean i i wouldn't say like i mean i think the bomb aspect of it because is because of the hype surrounding it but um you know fincher was so unhappy with the way the studio marketed it and didn't think that they got it 
But uh, obviously, if not your pick, we could have put this in as the cult classic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it would qualify, even though it was, you know, a pretty mainstream, widely distributed film. It, it became a cult thing rather than a, a mainstream hit. Yeah. And that there's sometimes that's better. You find your audience that way. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, it's not always better in the moment for people who want to, uh, you know, have successful careers and make more movies, but they all did fine. Right, exactly. Uh, I think we we can say that David Fincher survived this. Yes, and... yes, indeed, he did. <laughs> Josh, you know uh, Empire Magazine, that British uh, film magazine. Yeah, we've mentioned it. You ever write for them or anything? I have not. Oh, they're obsessed with this movie. Okay, like every two years, they seem to in the two thousands, they seem to have put out like a top five hundred list or best hundred movies, and this is always on their lists. And I didn't want to write down all the all of the Empire Magazine ones, but I did note that they claimed it was the 10th greatest movie of the 500 best movies of all time in a 2008 issue but it was like literally every year wow. number six this number eight that you uh, know so. so the number 10 movie of all time yeah. they had it on there well i like yeah. this but i i think that's a, a, a gross over uh, <laughs> you know giving it way too much credit well, of all time this is why you don't write for empire Magazine. no apparently not i should uh pitch them something uh related to how great fight club is and then i could write for them. yeah you could and say it was your personal pick on awesome movie yeah year. well there you go they're definitely big awesome movie year listeners yeah, and uh, uh, a media conglomerate between me you and dave <laughs> totally <laughs> so uh and any other background here you want to talk about on fight club jason um i mean like we said it's it's a fun movie to read about you know we just said it could have been a cult movie in 2009 the new york times called it the defining cult movie of our time you know we covered um the Graduate in 1967, obviously. And I, I found it really interesting all the times that I'm reading about this, that Fincher would bring up The Graduate. As yeah, a, it doesn't seem like The Graduate in any way to me. Yeah, but maybe in a Fincherian way, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he's saying like, you know, in the 60s, it was you you finish college, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do this. And, and Benjamin's having this existential crisis, right? And in the 90s, it was you're a young professional and you're supposed to do this, it's supposed to do this. And, you know, uh, our narrator without a name is having that existential crisis. Although I, I agree, it's very different. Yeah, I mean, having an existential crisis is a pretty broad comparison. There are many characters have existential crises in many films that are not otherwise similar at all. Yeah, we could still be inspired by it. Though. No, obviously it was. I mean, if they said, it, uh, and I read that too, you know, if that's something that he said that he... Uh, look to then then i'm sure it's true so uh it's just not something that i ever would have thought of if we were doing a piecing it together episode about fight club i would not mention the graduate as a puzzle piece uh, and i would only because of the research done you yeah. cheated <laughs> by researching <laughs> yeah um well josh i uh i really do want to know why you picked this movie so maybe we should take our break and come back and get our general thoughts we'll do that Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1999, we are talking about my personal pick, Fight Club. And Jason wanted to know why I picked this. And I mean, the answer that, well, the, the obvious basic answer is because I love this movie, um, or at least I loved it when I saw it in the past. End of episode. There you go. <laughs> um, I mean, that's in not not in every case, but in generally, that's what we've done in these episodes. We're picked, you know, what is the movie from the year that you really, really like? And I still do really like it. I think my reaction to it this time was a little less over the top 
uh, enthused. I think this is a movie, and it's, it's, you know, we hinted at the sort of toxic fan base for this film. So I think it's weirdly, like, dangerous to say, oh, Fight Club meant a lot to me or something, because then people are like, oh, what is wrong with you? Um, and there's a lot wrong with yeah. you. Yeah, but, but I would say that one of the things wrong with me is not that I uh, unironically admire Tyler Durden or share his ideology. Yeah, so watching it for this, like, and knowing that you picked it and that you love it, right? Like, I kept see, I kept wondering, like, where is Josh relating to this? Because knowing Josh, like, none of this feels like you would connect to it other than, like, it's Fincher and he's a good filmmaker. And But I didn't think you would connect to it so much. Yeah, and watching it this time, I think the main thing I connected to was the filmmaking, the just incredible direction. I mean, and not just that, but the the acting, the cinematography, all those, you know, technical aspects that you mentioned. I think the writing is really sharp for the most part. There's a lot of great, uh, incredibly quotable lines, whether those come from the novel or from the screenplay. Um, and less so the uh, sort of emotional identification or meaning. I wouldn't say that I identified, you know, with Tyler Durden or anything like that at the time even. It was less about that and more about just sort of this, the nihilism, not the, the fascistic aspect of like, let's mess with society and we're entitled to something that we haven't been getting and we've been marginalized, you know, we're straight white dudes and somehow we've been pushed to the edge of society. But just the idea of nothing meaning anything, I think is something that resonates a lot with me. I, I like that aspect of it, too. The, the other stuff that you're talking about feels like a Trump rally and cry. Right, right. So. right. And I mean, and I think it's handled artfully here, but you can see how people would have people who have less of a nuanced way of looking at life or at least of looking at film would take it in that unfortunate way and when watching this and thinking of the nihilism we're nihilists man uh, <laughs> another movie from a similar time period yeah, that i loved <laughs> i agree with that too um but watching this i thought like well i could see how audiences would be turned off by that aspect of it because they really like hammer you over the head with the nothing means anything in this world type uh you know aspect Right. And that to me, I was like all in favor of that at the time. And I mean, you know, maybe I'm I'm less aggressive about that now, but I certainly still sympathize with the point of view of everything being meaningless. Yeah. Aggro Josh, huh? <laughs> yeah. You remember aggro Josh? No, no. So well, but I Jason, I wonder, you know, obviously you were excited to see this if you went on opening night. Yeah. Did you like it when you saw it? I did like it when I saw it. And I still like I don't like it as much. I'm with you, but I like it. But I and and I'm trying to like, you know, we always try to contextualize, right? And you know, the first time it's exciting, this and that. Like certain things we knew weren't gonna age well when we were even talking about this season, it'll be interesting to get here. But certain things that didn't age well for me in this movie were not the things that I would have thought. Okay. So, I, I mean, there, certain things were, i.e., uh Marla is uh overdoses and like uh Hey, I'm gonna go die, and then like she's having sex with like Tyler two hours later. That's a that's maybe you know, I think I would have been handled a little differently. Yeah, today, maybe so. so. But I feel like it, there's never to me in a, a sense in this movie that Marla is being coerced. I agree. I agree. She makes her choices, right? But like, okay, the narration. 
I get it. We need the narration. It's overdone and over. Oh, see, I loved every yeah. bit of the narration. You loved every bit, even the part where, it, like, where he's saying stuff that feels like almost like a parody of what you would do if you were writing like a, a sketch of this, where it's like, "Wheels up, ladies and gentlemen, seatbelts on. We're in for a bumpy landing." Like all that stuff felt very hackneyed to me. Okay, so. But yeah, you loved I, it. No, I loved it. Yeah, that, like, again, what that goes along with what I feel like I loved about the movie this time, which was less the philosophical nature or the point of view of it, and just the the technique, the writing, the the artistry of the construction of the film. And yeah, that does include the narration. I thought, you know, in part, it's because this narrator is a posturing kind of guy, and that's what he's saying. Okay. Uh, one, I think it could have used a little less. And yeah. two, I think like some of those like lines are just, they just feel a little like trite at the moment. Well, so what else do you, you feel like other things didn't age well, you were saying? Yeah, I mean, again, well, again, it's too long. It's two hours and 20 minutes. And I know Fincher's like, I'm not taking anything out of it. Right, yeah, but. there's, there's, there's uh, on the Blu-ray, there's deleted and alternate scenes. And I was looking through them. And almost all of them, there's little explanations. And it's like, this scene is essentially the same. But notice how the slightly different camera <laughs> angles make a huge difference. I'm like, I'm not watching right, this. Right, right. Uh, Fincher and his 100 takes for thing. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, you, here's what I wanted to talk about, Josh. Yeah. Because we talked about this in The Sixth Sense, right? Now, knowing the twist, if you go back and watch it, does it still work? And I thought it did uh, in The Sixth Sense. This is a real stretch a lot of the time for me. Oh, see, I disagree. I mean, I agree with you on The Sixth Sense. And, you know, we talked about how great that movie is. I thought it worked. I mean, and again, I've seen it since, you know, at least one other one or two other times since seeing it the first time and knowing the twist and still loving it. And I did think it worked this time. There were definitely moments where I noticed, like, this is the way that he's interacting with Marla or with the underlings in project mayhem that tyler eventually brings into their house uh shows you you know if you know the twist is coming you can see what's going on here so i i thought it worked i mean i think the marla thing yes like tyler's not here this and that like that that's fine the underlings i'm wondering how he even explained like hey during the night i'm this guy but during the day i'm this guy and they're like cool you know or whatever but how about the scene where it towards the end where uh you know he finds the explosives in the van and he fights Tyler and they cut to the security cam footage and it's him kind of like dragging himself backwards up a, up a ramp. Like it, that, I, I mean, is a cool shot. Like, but like what? I don't, I don't think that worked for me at all. Oh, so, I mean, I don't know. I thought that was, that was fine. It was a, an illustration of the sort of depths of his psychosis that even though he now knows fully what's going on, he still can't sort of stop himself from doing this. I mean, also, the other thing about this film is that it's a satire, as you say. It's not in, in any remote way a realistic film. And I'm willing to give what? it. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying I'm willing to give it a pass on things where you're like, that's not really exactly how that would go because it's this heightened reality. Well, and let me say, right, like if you and I just got on here and sometimes we do and it was just like, I like this and I like this, too, it would be. A little more boring of a podcast. No, that's so, fine, right? So I know that this is your pick, and I'm not trying to pick on it. No, it's but, fine if you uh, are, if you don't like it. No, I, I still like it right. as a movie, right? right. I, but I don't even know if I had put it in like... Uh, okay, so for instance, even going with Fincher, yeah. um, I think that idea of uh, you know the psychosis 
and the utilization of like, is it real or isn't it real? Like Gone Girl is a much more adept version of that. Oh, wow. I mean, I like Gone Girl fine, but I think this movie is just light years better than Gone Girl. Dave? You know, spoiler alert for my rating later, but yeah, I absolutely love this movie and I think it works on every level. And I, wow. I, I think the thing about the ending though, like what you're talking about with him pulling himself up the flight of stairs and all that, this movie gets more and more exaggerated as it goes. And I think that's part of the point. So yeah. I missed I missed it. I'm a, I'm a dumb idiot. No, it's not that you You're interpreted it in a different person. way. You know, <laughs> and that's fine. Right. Hey Josh, was there anything that you because like we said, we you know, we know the movie. Was there anything that um you had remembered differently and then you watched it this time and you're like, oh, I thought it was X or Y. I don't know that anything I remembered in the sense that like, oh, I thought it was like this, but it's not. There were moments that I had forgotten were in the movie when they came up. I was like, oh, that, that's cool. The whole bit where towards the end, after the narrator realizes that, you know, spoiler, whatever, he and Tyler are the same person. Um, You're a real Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> yes, I really am. That's often who I'm compared to. Um, that's why you're dating two different ladies at once. Right? In college, so. yeah, I think Rosie's. Uh, yeah. Um, and he goes to the police and he has them arrest him because he's trying to essentially stop himself and they interrogate him. And there's one cop, the main one who had been previously investigating his uh, apartment explosion, who seems to be uh, sort of on the straight and narrow. And that guy leaves the room and all the other cops reveal that they are part of Project Mayhem. And that, as you're saying, in a way that you maybe didn't buy into, that he has told them about his sort of yeah, split. It was, a, it was a stretch for me. Right. But I just loved that moment where it's like, oh, you told us you'd say this and you, you know, you're so brave and they're, they're so brainwashed into thinking that he's this multi-level genius. Followers who are brainwashed into thinking some idiot is a multi-level genius. <laughs> um, well, have we seen that in recent times? So. Th that's what I was going to say. Like that, that's the thing about this movie. And for the people who unfortunately take the wrong message from it, I think it, and maybe I'm giving Fincher too much credit. I mean, I like Fincher, but I'm not like a huge, huge Fincher guy, but I, I'm giving him a lot of credit here and thinking that he kind of foresaw that and kind of baked that into this. Right. Well, whether it's Fincher or it's Chuck Palahniuk sure. who, who kind of thought of that, I, I think maybe not to say that they're clairvoyant and could anticipate every possible reaction, but I do think there is that element that they are uh, needling the kind of people who would buy into this philosophy on its face value and take it too far right all right so going back to like the stuff that's hard to believe like and and you know i could buy it maybe once or twice but he said he he went through all of uh tyler's 50 plane tickets right and followed him and like he didn't catch on in any of those 50 that he had already been there as tyler like well he catches on eventually you don't know after how many... 50 well i mean you know how many more were there left though <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> so look I, I don't want to pick on the movie because like i said i do like it i think uh the whole idea of anti-consumerism and we talked about uh you you know like that they're pushing like is uh man we we lost that battle <laughs> <laughs> well right right oh, yeah and mm. so i mean some of those aspects are relevant still um i think other aspects when he, he talks about the idea of like, oh, we didn't have a war and we didn't have a depression and, you know, life was so easy for these people that they had to invent things to be uh, difficult for them. Right, right. That's really not the case these days, it seems like. Another nitpick is uh, self-improvement is masturbation coming from Brad Pitt. 
like you know, the way he looks and right, everything. Right, right. Or there's yeah. that bit on the bus where they make fun of the male model in the ad, and then it's like, well, you're but you're Brad Pitt. Yes. Right. And it's not like they had Brad Pitt like ugly himself up for this movie. No. If anything, it's the opposite. He's, you very, know? he's very good. I, I I like all three of the leads. And yeah. I wanna I mean, but we know they're like all very good actors. Um how, Meatloaf is great in this he's movie. So good. Yeah. Like I remember seeing this in the theater. I'm like, man, Meatloaf, I think he could you know, and he acted in some other stuff around that time. But like, I thought he was really good in this movie. He was good in a part that is like ridiculous, but you have to really feel for that guy eventually. And you do. And and ridiculous, but he makes it believable and everything. Yeah. So. And the boss, the guy who plays the boss, who's like a character actor whose name. I Oh, know. Zach, uh, Zach Grenier, I think is his yeah, name. He, he does a good job, too. He does. I mean, that's a thankless role there. But the, yeah. the scene where he's watching the narrator beat himself up and is just like, what world have I stepped into? I feel like has the right reaction. That is there. that is one of the more memorable scenes from the beginning. The one that that surprised me was the end. I didn't remember. I remembered the buildings coming down. Yeah, but I didn't remember how he killed off Tyler. Um, the Marla stuff I remember a bit. Um, you know, and everything. But I also remembered. Uh, you know, because I love the Pixies. Sure, the Pixies, and you know. So where's my mind? But. It was kind of jolting how quickly those buildings came down. I remembered it in my head in, in like slow motion. So that's kind of interesting because it's so fast in the buildings and then it just cuts to credits. But um, it's interesting how you misremember things for your own emotional impact. Right. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I had the sense of what that was, that ending fairly accurately, but that definitely does happen. That shot is like, a, a, you want to talk about technical wizardry, like, I think that shot probably uh, to composite and to do the explosions that that's like a great, great shot there. Yeah. And there's a ton of great shots. I mean, visually Fincher is uh, a master. Always. Always. Yeah. I mean, he has been. And yeah, I think the performances I was saying, I think this might be Brad Pitt's best performance. Yeah. I think you might be right. I'd have to look, but um it's definitely up there. He, yeah. He's been nominated, right? Oh, yeah. For, he did, he um, won an Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, as supporting actor. Right, right. right. And he's great in that. Um, but yeah. but I think, I really think that this is his best work. And that Tyler, that's such a tough character to play because he's essentially not a person. I mean, he is not a person. And even before the twist comes around, he's still not really a person. And you have to kind of play that as like, this is a figment of imagination, but the audience needs to believe it's a real person for a little while. So um, I just thought that was really impressive. Um, but all of the acting is really good. I do think that, you know, we were talking about my, my personal uh, affinity for this film. And I think less so than wanting to be or be like or follow or whatever Tyler Durden. Uh, I definitely at the time was, you know, more of the I would, you know, be attracted to Marla Singer kind of person <laughs> i think you still are to be honest maybe so. so i mean it's not something she's all she's awesome helena bonham carter and this is not a surprise like we're talking about some of the best actors that there is but like that's another role that could easily go into like okay are you even a real human being at this point right i think that's a key thing is that she's great in it in a character that is like vitally important to the story but also could come off as this sort of like dark version of a manic pixie dream girl or whatever, who's just there to support or, uh, you know, facilitate the main character, the male character. And I think she gives it more than that. So why do you want to 
did you have a savior complex? Is that what it is? Why do you want no, to date no, these No, 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 I would women? not. I would no, it would not be like that at all. I think it was it's maybe part of the sort of nihilism of it of like someone who's just dark and uh, you know, gloomy and destructive, not that I would want to save them or anything. Yeah, it so, seems like a lot of effort. No, no, and that's why it's uh, you know, it's not the case and uh but not not to not to put that on any of those uh lovely women who I described <laughs> from the that time in my life who are both that's why perfectly well-adjusted yeah. human beings as adults and married with children and very nice people. So you're the one who did I'm the fucked up one. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. That's the message. I got a I found a great quote. I mentioned that book Best Movie Year Ever, right, by Brian Raftery and um I reread the chapter on Fight Club. Cause I come with the meat baby. No, that's good. And um, Michael Kaplan, who was the costume designer, um, Helena Bonham Carter was like, you know, she was worried. How do I play this as a real character? How does this not become just like a piece in a misogynistic wheel? Which I think the the point is they didn't do it misogynistically, right? That's, right, I'm but not it saying, easily could have been right. Yes. And Michael Kaplan, who's the costume designer, she's like, I think the costume will have a lot to do with like how to play this character, but I don't know what it is. He's got this awesome quote. He goes, think Judy Garland for the millennium, not the actress in The Wizard of Oz. Think Judy Garland later on when she was a bit of a mess drinking and doing drugs while her life was falling apart. Like, what a great way to motivate an actress, you know? Yes, it's uh, Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland. Right, <laughs> but I mean, but that if that doesn't give you a clear picture of like um, a direction to go with a character you might not be able to get a hold of. like, Right. And that's that's really cool because like, you know, we Fincher is the auteur, but like he surrounds himself with, uh, as any good filmmaker should, like not just able professionals, but top of the craft. Like that's a super insightful way to look at a character. I thought. Right, right. I mean, and and as much as we admire Fincher, like everyone else here contributes to the greatness of this film because of the work that they do. That no one is is falling down on the job here or not living up to the potential. Yeah, I mentioned it. Jeff Chenoweth, like um, who's done a bunch of Fincher's movies as the DP. Like really cool, innovative stuff here, the way they lit this. And I always think back to like this and like collateral, which came out maybe a couple of years later, and their usage of like everyday lights to kind of enhance a scene like with grittiness, like that still like really works for me. Yeah, it's a movie that looks beautiful. I mean, it's dark, literally dark, but it's not murky. It's not like you can't make it out. It's like metallic or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the set design, I mean, Tyler's insane house, which was a fully built set. I mean, that looks amazing. Right, the paper street house thing. Right, exactly, paper street. So I feel like I should, I'm obligated here to also bring up the homoeroticism of this film. Oh, there's uh, this one I can't fight you on. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and it's a weird thing when you know the twist because it's like he's hot for himself in a way he's hot for what he's not yeah Mm. right oh that rhymed yeah but i wasn't (laughs) but i i mean that right like because that's you know i mean even tyler says like i'm the opposite i'm everything you want to be but aren't and that's so and um you know norton is like a geeky type guy whereas tyler like we said like brad pitt is a beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah. You know? And so. he looks like he's at like the height of his attractiveness right. in this film. And uh, Norton in that book, he was reading, he's like, you know, I had to look physically weaker. So I'm drinking tea and <laughs> just trying to keep with it. And meanwhile, Brad Pitt's eating like six hot dogs and a half a pumpkin pie. And it's just all becoming muscle on him and everything. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, and that, like you were saying with the Tyler Durden character, like, um, 
he has to be so charismatic and he has to i think the look is important like if he didn't look like a um if you weren't drawn in by the look of him then it wouldn't work either right right he looks like somebody who would be a cult leader and that people would follow Dave, what about the Dust Brothers and their soundtrack here? Hell yeah. One of my favorite scores of that era and was a huge inspiration on me, my, you know, my composing work for sure. But I, I love the music in this film. Yeah, see what happens when you get inspired the wrong way, John. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Dave has a new album out. Let's I plug sure that do. right now. Yeah, The Dissection Table, which uh, about a person who's losing his mind. So there All you right. go. Yeah, perfect. That's what's going on here. So well, I, I just wanted to say about the the homoeroticism, though, um, or the idea that like Tyler is what he's not, or he's attracted to what he's not. I mean, yes, but also Tyler still is him. So it's something that he has inside him, or that he is able to express in the in you know this messed up way. So it still is partly him. It is still sort of a onanistic kind of attraction a narcissistic where, yeah attraction. narcissistic solipsistic whatever you want to call it that it's all within himself and that even though sort of and i can't remember if it was fincher or someone else who described this as a romantic comedy in a way Hilarious. and the you know the end result is that he and marla are sort of together i guess and and she's the one who even though she's messed up in her own way is sort of his savior like it's it's really about his romance with himself. Well, Tyler wants to get rid of Marla so, you know, narrator can focus back on him and what's important. Right, right. You have all these scenes with dudes with no shirts just, like, bare-knuckling each other, right? Um, and by that, I mean not a euphemism, <laughs> right? <laughs> Dave, you ever bare-knuckle another dude? You guys want to rate this? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and I, the last thing I wanted to say is, like, you know, it, it's a group of guys hanging out in a basement who aren't allowed to talk about the activities yeah, they participated yeah, together. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you're joking, but I wonder, like, have you ever been in a fight, Jason? I got as a kid, I was, but uh, as an adult, I hadn't been. But then I think I a few years ago, I got sucker punched when I got off stage. I don't know. I th I think I told you yeah, that, right. Yeah. But like, there was like a heckler, and I took him. I took care of him on stage, and he wasn't happy with me. And he confronted me off stage, and he's like, "What's your problem?" I'm like, I just make fun of everyone. We're we're good, man. And I turn away, and he sucker punched me when I wasn't looking. And it is a huge adrenaline rush because I took this dude's best shot while I wasn't looking, right? So like, if he was gonna get me, that was how he was gonna get me. And I just took it, and it like, there's definitely um, a um, I, I I a masculine adrenaline rush to that. I have to say, I have to be honest. Like, I man. felt like a fuck. A beast at that point did in you time. did you fight back no i'm not i'm a pacifist you know everyone knows that about me and yeah. uh um i like i took the dude's best shot i took him out, out on stage and i took his best shot off stage and uh to just to finish the story which doesn't have to do with fight club uh i thought he knocked my sunglasses off my i uh, was wearing them off on my shirt so i thought he knocked them off so i picked up sun the sunglasses i drove home and the host calls me and he's like, hey, man, did you steal that guy's sunglasses? And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah. He said uh, during the scuffle, like he lost his $600 Gucci sunglasses, right? And I look over and I see the Gucci logo and I go, nope, I didn't take his sunglasses. So, so I got him on all three levels at that point. Yeah, you know? I like but yeah, that. I like yeah. That. Have, I, I don't, have you guys ever had a physical Not intensity as an adult. of a fight? Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I've never been in a fight. I remember one time, and and Jason, you know, I had this friend and talking about all sorts of weird stuff yeah, from my is, life. And this, this is great. Episode. It's usually me who has to go through the therapy. Session. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. So yeah, when I was younger, and actually long and in, long into adulthood, far too long, uh, I had this friend who was a terrible person, really an abusive guy. Uh, not as much to me, uh, but a little bit emotionally abusive, but to everyone in his life, really, and physically abusive to in relationships and just a terrible person all around. But he was my friend for many, many years. <laughs> and I remember one time he so it was such a frustrating person and was just always like if you didn't go along with everything that he wanted at all times, he would just like kind of shut down and just be an asshole. And I remember being at a concert and I don't remember what it is we were arguing about or whatever but i got so mad at him that i punched him in the like arm and it probably didn't even hurt him but yeah. that was like the most angry i feel like i've ever been in my life amazing i can't see you punching anyone no and it's it's just it's a, i it's amazing to me too and i feel like that was part of this guy's weird toxic energy and that he would he would sort of uh do that to people in his orbit people around him and not just me so you're so, blaming him i'm not i'm not him. blaming i'm not <laughs> blaming gaslighting him. this guy years no. later so. no i'm not blaming him for that particular instance i blame him for a lot of things but not for that particular thing but but i mean i do think that that was sort of the dynamic that he had with not again not just me with but with almost everyone in his life where it was like this sort of weirdly antagonistic thing or if you weren't like in line with him in every way he would shut you out well, it sounds like he could have been a cult leader he could have and he was a charismatic guy and maybe still is i mean i haven't talked to him in many years but yeah so that was the closest and we didn't he didn't respond or anything like that we didn't get in a fight okay i was gonna want i was wondering if he like you know that led to anything no no and like i said we were like at a concert and i don't even know why this happened i can't remember that anymore but he did not you know return fire or whatever uh, thankfully, because he probably would have kicked my ass, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. as he did to the women in his life. But wow. uh, mm, that's not that's good. dark. Yeah, we well, know. We know that that's uh, he not, probably not, took the wrong message from Fight Club. He, he probably, you know, and I'm sure <laughs> yeah. like we were good friends and I'm sure he loved Fight Club like I did. And he may very well have, although he's where this is so irrelevant. But, you know, he's the opposite of this sort of alt right, you know, following that the, this movie has gotten. He's this like left-wing uh anarchist well i think i mean well they're anarchy and fascism it, it, the, it, it, yeah right? it kind of it's kind of a circle but he would he would despise you know the the idea of being thought of as, as fascistic or right-wing <laughs> so anyway that's not really the no either. that's interesting though josh i like i like that the audience is getting some insight on into you and why you're going to join a cult within the next few yeah, years. Yeah, so. we'll see what happens if I'm no longer here on the podcast. Hey, I want to, because we haven't, and maybe, I'm sure we'll mention him in the legacy, but Chuck Palahniuk, or Palahniuk, as you like to call I, him. I don't so. know how you pronounce it. You know, exactly. when he sold this book, he didn't make much money on it. He sold the book for 6000 bucks. He sold the film rights for 10000 bucks. This wasn't like the hot commodity or anything, right? Right. And he's a huge star, but uh, Fincher had this quote about him he said, I was in my late 30s and I saw the book as a rallying cry. Chuck was talking about a very specific kind of anger that was engendered by a kind of malaise. We've been inert for so long, we need to sprint into the next evolution of ourselves. So that kind of sums up to me what that movie, what the movie is. All right. Well, then on that note, we can give it a rating. Jason? I give it three. 
three. Okay. I like it, but I don't love it. So. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Wait, what are we rating it out of? I don't know. Out of a slice, spliced uh, pornography frames or something there like you that, go. maybe? That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So. so, yeah, I mean, it's weird because I said I didn't like it as much this time, but I feel like in the past I would have given it a five out of five uh, pornography frames. And here I'm going to give it four out of five, which means I liked it less, but I do still think it's brilliant. So, Dave? Last time I kind of went down to four. This time I'm back up to five. Wow. I, I loved right. it this time. Is around. that the first five you've I given think on it the is. show? Even your so. own picks? You, you must have given like, did May- you give the, the 10 I a might five have given stars? the 10 a five, but you know, that, <laughs> or that, 10 stars? that's got an asterisk next to it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good, man. Yeah. Three different reactions. Absolutely. Dave's apparently the one who's going to be in the cult. <laughs> yeah. See, you're laying it all on me, but it's really the quiet guy over there. Mm-hmm. So we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Fight Club. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1999, we have been talking about my pick, Fight Club. And as we've said, kind of regardless of what you think about this film, whether you like it or not, it's had this huge lasting impact. Both good and bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I wonder how, as the filmmaker or the stars, and, you know, we know Brad Pitt, for instance, is very active in liberal causes, how you kind of even come to terms with those situations. Yeah, I don't know. And I maybe I should have looked further to see if any of them, if Fincher or Pitt or Norton or Chuck Palahniuk, have talked about that kind of legacy. I'm not sure. It was interesting to me, you know, on sort of the other tip, I was, like I said, I have this, this Blu-ray with all these special features. And one of the features, bafflingly, is this segment from 2009 from the Guy's Choice Awards, which is a thing that does not exist anymore. Spike TV, right? Spike TV, yeah. where this movie is being inducted into the guy movie hall of fame and it just seems like the most misguided thing and then you watch this and i couldn't honestly it was painful i couldn't even watch the whole thing inducting this film is mel gibson (laughs) and and what's even worse so fincher and pitt and norton are all there at this ridiculous award ceremony to accept this award which i think is a sword and mel gibson you know introduces them and they come up and they're so jokey. And Brad Pitt's like, thanks, sugar tits. And it's like, really? Re- this is this is what you're joking about now? And it just at that point, I turned it off. Well, I'm that this is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but, you know, I think that you could totally make a movie right now uh, in the similar vein of Fight Club rallying against uh, the wokeness of the world. And I, And look, dude, I'm very progressive, right? And you might say woke myself, Josh, but Mm. I'm saying you can make the same movie. And if that's your cause and that's the reason for these fight clubs, like it would still work as a motivation. Maybe, but I think far more than you don't think today that there's a whole like the masculinity of the world has been taken away from us and we need that's what there, I'm saying. there is. But that's not on the side of the, the quote unquote woke people. That's on the other side. Well, that, but I'm saying this would be the motive, the wokeness. Oh, would be right. The motivation yes. I see what you're that. saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You are right. And I think that is the, <laughs> that, that is the sort of unfortunate interpretation that, that people on that, that right wing level who admire this fascistic worldview have taken this movie as a rallying cry, as well as another movie that we may talk about later, The Matrix, which is also very much not what that movie was supposed to be about. And so 
lots of misconstruing of messages of movies from this year. Not just that, big events. Woodstock 99 supposed to be a big peace and love fest and turned out to be uh, horrible. Anything with Limp Biscuits horrible, though. So let's just move on. Yeah, it's not really the <laughs> case here. So, um, but I mean, also, I think there are plenty of people who love this movie and its reputation has grown sort of for the right reasons. Let's say it's not just these these people I who agree. are taking it's, it in the wrong way. It's a two-headed snake. That it is. And one head's got to eat the other. So uh, apparently. Let's, let's kill the idiots. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 the people involved in this, even though it wasn't this huge hit at the moment, you know, have gone on to big success. David Fincher, of course. They were already, they were all all already superstars. Well, mind. true, but I mean, I think this movie even not maybe not right in the moment, but soon after burnish their reputations. I mean, if you talk about David Fincher, this movie comes up as, Oh, one of the great movies that he's made. I, hey, Josh, one thing that I got to do here is talk about all the other directors and cast members. Oh, all right. Yeah, let's do that. Boop, 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 boop. Alternate casting on awesome movie here. So it went to uh, Peter Jackson was the what was when they thought yeah brian singer Ooh, you want to talk about brian singer no, no let's not we may have to eventually he could have done it but i mean he made a great movie yeah. with a twist right. he did do that yeah so um david o russell read it and said he didn't get it yeah i feel like he could have i mean three kings that is also i think from this year yeah, has a similar is. satirical tone to it the one and and peter jackson didn't do it because he was doing the frighteners dave at the time nice. the one name that came up that i thought would have been great because especially with a lot of that overlay dialogue uh was danny boyle oh and yeah this definitely feels like if we were doing a piecing it together episode train spotting would totally be one of my pieces for this. Yeah, right? I definitely think Danny Boyle could have done a good job with this film. So Russell Crowe, Sean Penn, some of the names. Courtney Love, who was dating Edward Norton, was up for Marla. Winona Ryder, Reese Witherspoon, who would have been too young, right? Right. When I could see Courtney Love or Winona Ryder. Yeah, but the one that was really interesting, the one that he offered it to was Janine Garofalo. That would have been totally interesting to me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like she never got, maybe this could have been sort of a new direction she never really got the chance to take on that kind of serious heavy role and yeah. maybe she could have done it and she says she accepted the part and then edward norton didn't want her for whatever reason but i thought that was a super interesting pick. yeah i think it could have had an interesting uh legacy for any of those uh performers had they ended up in this film and yeah changed the direction for them but i mean of course the people who are in this film as we've said all brilliant and I think the thing about both Brad Pitt and Edward Norton is that they were big, you know, they were huge stars at this time. They remain huge stars, Brad Pitt more so. But I think both of them are really dedicated to taking on interesting, challenging films in addition to mainstream stuff where they get to use their star power and just be famous and whatever. It's crazy to me that Brad Pitt is such a famous actor and he might be more successful as a producer right now. Like, killing it with his production company. that that's true too and and i think that's another thing where he uses his clout as this big star to say let's make this get this movie made whether it's something like 12 years a slave or uh other things other movies other movies that, that i can't think of right now but uh, i mean that was moneyball maybe that you know, was he probably, was a star of Moneyball. yeah but, but he, he probably you know Maybe, yeah, may have been a producer. I think he is a producer on a lot of those. Norton's as well. got a reputation as being uh, difficult to work with in that he has ideas and he wants to incorporate his own ideas. And, you know, he's not as big as a star now as he was. And, it, 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 you know, he had a run of some great movies. Like, I, I thought 
dude, his performance in American History X is like one of the best I've seen. So I'd love to see him get something meaty that he can sink his teeth into on that dramatic level again. Yeah, and I think part of his sort of being difficult or whatever is that he wants to be in charge. And he's directed a little bit, but not as much. You would think that he would take more of that initiative to say, I'm going to be the director on this project so I can make sure that it's exactly what I want it to be. Like keeping the faith. Right, exactly. Which has, I've never seen, but has kind of a cult following. It's all right. I really liked it when it came out and then I rewatched it like maybe five years ago and I didn't think it held up at all. But Uh, yeah, but I I love Edward Norton though. Yeah, yeah. I think he's- Do you have a favorite? I mean, probably this, but I'm a big Death to Smoochie fan. So, oh, that's the worst movie that I've there never, is. I've never seen that. I was gonna, was it's, Primal Fear? His, if we yeah. ever do whatever one? year yeah. that was, uh, 2002, I think it's probably gonna be my. Favorite. I mean, oh, I, so. I, I'll have to rewatch. I would rewatch it because I remember being exciting and it, being excited about it and hating it so much. <laughs> but I, yeah, you got Primal Fear, American History X, and Death to Smoochie is your pick. Okay, yeah, sure. come on. I've I've never seen Death to Smoochie. Brad Pitt, of course, worked with David Fincher again on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which I really like, but it's also very divisive in a weirdly opposite way to this film that people think it's very sentimental and sappy. I mean, it's like, it's a little unfair. Like, Fincher's not allowed to show range as a director here, you know? I mean, I I like it a lot. I remember loving it when I saw it. Um, Helena Bonham Carter, of course, known for playing these kind of witchy, gothy women in in more... uh, audience-friendly films, lots of Tim Burton movies, of course. Yeah, and all the Harry Potter movies. And she's great at that, but she's also got a lot of range. She was on The Crown for a couple seasons recently, which I don't watch, but I will say that uh, my mom loved her on that. So She was the mom in Enola Holmes. And, uh, yeah, I that's think a fun she, movie. Yeah, and I think they're going to do the sequel of that. So. Yeah. We like her. Uh, like I said, uh, and Jared Leto, who's a oh, small Leto. part in this. Yeah, gets, we don't need, I think he has like five lines. He gets top yeah. billing and he just stands in the background. The most well, that's of the time. probably, you know, he probably had some of those cut scenes. Or yeah. Whatever. But uh, so. yeah, I would have liked to have seen Meatloaf done more. You know? Yeah, I think he still does occasional like B movies and stuff like that. But, you know, not mm-hmm. uh, not a lot of parts for Meatloaf. He would do anything for love, but he won't do that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Chuck Palahniuk remains sort of a cult figure. Um, I was surprised that only one of his other novels has been adapted into Choke. a film, Choke. Yeah, which is not a great movie with uh, Sam Rockwell and Gillian Anderson. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah, I uh, saw it at is a that her name film festival. Gillian Jacobs. No, oh, probably Gillian Anderson. I think Gillian Anderson yeah. was the one. That yeah, was from in the X Files. No, no, the one from Community. Oh no, you're right, Ch- Gillian Jacobs. Jacobs. Yeah. yeah. I saw that movie and I forgot. It was not very good, but right. that, that was one of the only books I've actually read. Oh, so. of, like, wow. of all books? <laughs> of all books. So, oh, wow. so Josh, I've read like 12 books. Yeah, so, you know. man. How did you get through school? Uh, hey, I know. Yeah, I know. So we went from you and all your issues to Dave loving Death to Smoochie and reading like three books in his uh-huh. life. So. Yeah, that's, all that's right. me. Hey, Josh. Yes. Do you remember when we saw Chuck Palahniuk do the live reading? Oh, yeah. I didn't remember if you were there with me. That was a great experience where he read that story, Guts, the one where people pass out yeah. while he's reading it. So we heard ahead of time. Was we that here in Vegas? Clark County Yeah, it was at the Clark County Library. I was there. Oh, all right. Oh. We were all there. <laughs> Amazing. So I don't know if you had heard ahead of time, but Josh and I kept hearing like people throw up people pass out and i was like whatever he's just reading a story and i didn't think it could happen but someone had a seizure in the middle of the reading i remember that i mean part of it is because at the beginning of the story he says like you should hold your breath and obviously you really shouldn't but people do anyway i mean it's pretty it's hard to uh stomach so uh, it is a very graphic story if you've heard that story that's a pretty good pun yes yes so oh stomach yeah 
Um, Dave, I assume among the 12 books that you've read, there are no other Chuck Palahniuk books? I don't think so. I think it was just the one. So okay. what's uh, Fincher up to next? We know he did Mank last year. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, he's uh, he's done Mindhunter, the TV series on Netflix, which he's directed a number of episodes. He's got a good relationship with Netflix. Yeah, he has. Uh, and they give him some freedom to do what he wants. And I, Mindhunter was technically ended after its second season, but I think there's been some talk about potentially reviving it for another season. It's okay, but I feel like it's not necessarily the best use of his talents. The Killer is his next movie with Michael Fassbender. Oh, all right. Well, hopefully that's a real thing that's happening. Um, Because he's certainly had, he's one of these directors who's had a lot of unrealized projects, things that get announced and then they don't actually happen. But he seems to have the power to do or not do what he wants. I hope that's true, maybe in his relationship with Netflix now. I did want to mention also Chuck Palahniuk, in addition to writing, you know, a number of novels, wrote Fight Club 2 and Fight Club 3 as graphic novels, which I was going to try to read one of them, but I just ran out of time and they were very poorly reviewed. So I don't know if those are any good, but it's an interesting thing that he sort of capitalized on this success eventually. I mean, Fight Club 2 came out in 2015, so it took a while, but he eventually did capitalize in on it. And I think one of the criticisms of that was that it it traded too much on just references to the film and stuff and not even necessarily to his book. How Kevin Smithian. Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, did Fincher, was he one of the creators or exec producers of House of Cards? Uh, yes, I, I, think, I so. think so. Yeah, he might have directed also a couple episodes of that. I mean, you got to remember when House of Cards came out, it was like Netflix is putting out its own series, whatever, right? So like... Um, you might not love Mindhunter, but like, let's give the influence of what he did. Right, know, right, right. That's true. I mean, being able to sort of foresee that as a thing that would be worth doing um, when a lot of people had that level of skepticism, as you're saying. Yeah. The the one member of this team who maybe did not do as well, besides Meatloaf, uh, who took the words right out of my mouth, must have been while he was kissing me. Um, was screenwriter Jim Uhl, who wrote Jumper. And that's it. Yeah, he's had one other credit in his entire career. And I mean, Jason, you know, you know, being a screenwriter in Hollywood, that doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't been he's working. He's made steadily. a lot of money of not making movies, right? Writing stuff that didn't get made. But Jumper is so bad. Jumper is really very bad. And I'm sure as much as he would appreciate making money, you want to get a movie made. So yeah. that's got to be frustrating. But that's true. I think he does a great job. And again, I haven't read this book, so I don't know how much of it comes from the book versus comes from his screenplay, but there's so many quotable lines and moments here that, you know, you have to give him credit for that. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is that something that probably isn't happening, but at one point they were developing a stage musical based on Fight Club. That'd be great. I'd be all in on that. So. Yeah, I don't know. So any other legacy you want to mention, Jason? No, I think you uh, covered it. Dust Brothers, uh, we, you know, look into their music. Okay, I will. <laughs> so, okay so that is Fight also looking to meatloaf's music yeah obviously you have looked into <laughs> meatloaf's music very extensively any other meatloaf song titles that well, you'd like rock to and roll never forgets josh so. yeah <laughs> all right so that is fight club and that is this episode of awesome movie year you can check us out on the social media you can but i have to make a public service announcement first josh when you leave today and drive home remember Objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. uh, social media, awesomemovieyear.com, awesome movie year on Facebook and Instagram, awesome movie pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris, comedy 
or Jay Harris Comedy on all the socials. Not that anyone ever looks them up at this point. Go for Jason. Uh, it was, uh, you could make soap out of it or something. I don't know. It's not a not a website, Josh. Yeah, mine isn't that better. JoshBellHatesEverything.com. But you can uh, say hello to me and talk about my weird personal problems. At JoshBellHatesEverything. you tell us more if we go on social? Eh, we'll see. <laughs> Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at Piecing Pod. What do we have in our next episode, Jason? And then it was our foreign film. Run, Lola, Run, another major influential film of 1999. So tune in next time for Run, Lola, Run. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.